Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. A child protective services case is one of the most frightening experiences for any parent. Don't face it alone. Face it with confidence with urgent assist by CPS Protect. You can have access to former CPS investigators to make sure you preserve your rights and protect your family. If you're facing CPS involvement and aren't sure where to turn, their child welfare consultants can help you. Visit cpsprotect.com forward slash subscribe and enter the coupon code SLAMTHEGAVEL for 60% off your first year of urgent assist. And this is available in all 50 states. I have another announcement. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away in the fall of 2022. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies. He receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to the Italian Social Services. If he is ruled to go back, he will then face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or understand the language. He will be taken away from the only family he has ever known, and we have Judge Ann Donnelly to thank for that. Please call Governor Hochul at 518-474-8390. That's Governor Hochul at 518-474-8390 to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States. States, hashtag keep Bradley safe. Also, one last announcement. Go to the site, please do your job.com. That's please do your job.com and sign the petition. We need 3,000 more signatures. And I would appreciate if everyone would do that. I totally thank you. I have a brand new guest on. I have attorney Tim McElwain on. We're going to talk about how the system from an attorney looking in is and a father looking out is, and how this has been a history of power. So I welcome you, Tim McElwain. How are you this morning? I'm very good. Thanks, Marianne. Thanks for having me, first of all. Oh, definitely. <laughs> what do you think of family court? Do you think it should be abolished? Well, uh, hopefully your show is nine hours long, because uh, <laughs> no, I, what do I think of? Uh, the short answer is yes. I think it should be abolished. Um, and to your introduction, I think it is another case study that is well learned, like in our society, about how power. There's an old saying I learned. I, I studied political economies at Berkeley a long time ago. I'm 55 now, and one of the things we learned was, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and it's why governments are overthrown. It's why you know people like you know England started the United States. It's why religions changed. So. This is no different. And, you know, if you look at family court and the legislative intent of it, it's it's beautiful. Right. Um, it, you know, this idea of a specialized court of certain skill sets that are just special to the family situation and the idea of efficiency and the idea that it's not going to be this long litigation process like those other, you know, personal injury animals like myself or uh, whatever. Uh <laughs> All those things that are written as a legislative intent, I'm all for it. Sign me up. Um, in application, it is now a runaway train, and it is probably. And I'm. Mean, this is probably a. a, a uh, I'm advocating at a certain level, but this is probably a bigger statement. It's probably more upsetting and destructive than the idea of like starting a new country, because the two things that you're dealing with is children. And the destruction of someone's um, 
wealth or profession and their mental. So there's, it's like, it's literally layered. Mm -hmm. It'll create a depression in a parent who's taken away from their, their child. Same with the child. And it, and it, it creates huge issues psychologically with children. And the irony is it's the court with the least competent judges. Now in the state of New Jersey, um, a lot of the judges that are starting out as new judges, we have a system that I, I kind of am proud of in New Jersey. I'm also licensed in New York, but uh, in, in, in New Jersey, well, we claim to be sort of independent. So they're not elected judges. They're judges that are um, chosen. Now there's some, you know, there's always, that's not a perfect system either. They seem to always been chosen from a certain, you know, area of law and this and that, but they're not up for election. And why is that important? Um, every state has a different opinion of this. Um, you know, oh, I want to be able to elect my judge. And think about that. When you're an elected judge, mm -hmm. you're going to do what's popular, right? Well, let's take the issues of civil rights. Let's take the issues of who's your big lobbyist, right? New Jersey, I'm proud of. A lot of big, great case law came from them because the judges were independent and their reelection wasn't dependent on doing what's popular, right? Mm -hmm. And we, you know, we know about civil rights and that, you know, if you're you're not going to do something, you know, unpopular. You'll have your house burned down or something like that. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, I think that's one of the big issues. Is this also a system that has elected judges um, with within with the family court? But there's a lot more to that. Definitely, um, with these elected judges, this is really bad because a lot of these lawyers will kick in for the judge's daughter's judge campaign. And so then there's favors going to be owed and created. Well, <laughs> and, it, and, and I've look, this has been my, my situation has been um, there's two things that have broken my heart. One losing you know, my first time father of a daughter that literally just turned seven yesterday. And I haven't seen oh. her in two and a half years without a hearing. Um, so that's my heartbroken there. And I'm, that's created me to be very sad. And I was always a very happy person. But the second thing I'm really sad by is, and maybe it's just a naivete. I always look at the law as something that, you know, can sometimes hold people. Okay. You don't always get justice, but it's a chance at justice. And I've gotten the sense and everyone's like, Oh, you're a lawyer. You must really, because I'm a lawyer, you know, it's, they're almost hostile towards me in mm -hmm. terms of not, not letting me create records. I have motions that have been pending, I think four years now that are going to get, I guess they're going to get heard when my daughter's out of high school, but um, uh, who knows? Um, and some of the motions are like for makeup time. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. um, but anyway. Uh, and so you haven't seen her in how long? Over two and a half years. Mm. Over two and a half years. Without a hearing, without a hearing. And that's, that we can talk about that. And that's, and how is that? How could that? And you know, what's weird is, we have burned into the American um, psyche, this idea, and we do a good job with movies and we try to do things to show that, you know, there's this, you know, regulatory body that oversees things, right? There's checks and balances, right? We learned that as kids, right? Mm -hmm. There's checks and balances on all this power because that's what we set up in this country. Well, there's also a thing called regulatory capture, right? Where the regulators uh, basically are, the people that are regulating are the people <laughs> that should be regulated. You know, they come from, <laughs> let's say the firms that are doing the bad stuff. They're the ones on the ethics committee, right? This kind of thing. So, you know, that is that, that, that's a scenario where how do you, how do you fix that? Right. 
um, how do you fix the uh, who's doing the monitoring? So there's there's that problem as well. So. Yeah, there's no oversight. There's no accountability in family court. I too feel I, it should be abolished. It really uh, just creates more of a disaster for everyone involved. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely hard on the kids and uh, the parent, the target parent as well. Right. I think. I th listen. I think you. The idea, and I thought about this long and hard because we, we have spoken before this, and I'm all about a jury trial. I mean, I, I think that is the that is the one thing in this country that separates us from the other countries. It is the most uniquely. It's the only thing I'm really, really proud of mm -hmm. as American. I'm losing some, getting saddened a little bit by our spirit lately. But the one thing, and we did it twice. We did it in the Declaration of Independence, which was a, most, one of the most brilliant documents ever written. Mm -hmm. And we did it in the Bill of Rights, which was really like, the Bill of Rights was like, a, oops, we forgot to give the people rights. And then after the Constitution was done, we threw in amendments and one was a right to a jury trial. And when you said that, I thought, because I thought thinking about the, the judicial efficiency issue, mm -hmm. I have a suggestion on how you can do a jury trial in an efficient way. I, I had tried a case in Wyoming and they do a way with, with picking jurors. It is extremely efficient. You can do it literally within you know, a couple hours, uh, or like two hours. And you, you, you hear that, you know, family court motions penned, uh, you show up, there's like, you know, 40 people in the courtroom, you know, the judge is going through a docket. So a, 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 a jury that could be picked in, let's say an hour and a half or two hours to, to handle the big stuff, the big stuff, which is, you know, whether the, what, what parent is, you know, got the child's best interest, um, the, the what credibility they have really assessing it you know i had there was a hearing in my case where the judge let the let the mother sit next to her lawyer where you can see there, there's like notes being passed which is like really and the, and and also allowed her to wear a mask so she's wearing a mask hmm. and the, and her lawyer sitting right next to her now <laughs> are you gonna really judge um, credibility um, and facial expressions and whether people are right. someone's wearing a mask it's like you know it'd be like having a trial against you know the the 9-11 attackers and having them in a burqa right well, and yeah then, yeah i mean that, and that this is this is this is this is a little thing that went on in my case this is one of the little nuggets that are just absolutely you know crazy but um Anyway, the jury idea is, I mean, these are these are important things, right? And if it's if it's a rigged game, you know, one of the things you learn when you're if you have a juror, try all you try to do as a, as a, a lawyer who picks juries is you try to get a jury in there, not necessarily that's like going to definitely go to your side. You want to get somebody you try to like get people that if you and that it, it can invent the possibility that another scenario could be it put in front of them where they'll accept it even though they're going to prejudge everything some people can't there's a thing called bias where it doesn't matter right what evidence is put in front of them there's a bias thing that is just they're not you're just never going to have them make a decision on facts because of the bias that's what family court is all about oh definitely uh collusion and conflict of interest and i was recently court watching a couple of days ago and I was on, you know, video and <laughs> they were totally beating up this pro se litigant. 
And it was just absolutely horrible to watch while the attorney was saying how they wanted to extract attorney fees out of her, who's already broke. And I'm making facial expressions like, you know, and so the judge says, Miss Petrie, turn off your video. You are distracting the attorneys. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I turned off the video because I, I'm like. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's the thing, too. Like, I. I well, and I, I, I miss I missed my train of thought, which was sorry about that. No, no, not because of you, because when I was when I, as I do this, you know, ask my wife, I, you know, I start on one point and we end up. But the people in America believe there's a thing called due process and they believe I'm a, they just think it because we just like with we think, well, there's oversight. Right. Well, isn't there, you know, the Bar Association, isn't there? The, right. So when I was talking about who the regulatory capture, there is no oversight people have ingrained in their mind that I, one day I'm going to have to process. Oh, the truth's going to come out and children are resilient. Those are the three things that I, I, oh. I, I want to, I want to jump out a window and land on my face mm -hmm. because uh, you know, that's a nice thing to try to, you know, have someone to have uh, hope for, but um, you know, the, 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 there's, there's not due process. Okay. If there's not due process, mm -hmm. uh, and you're, you're thinking, well, how can that be, right? There's all these guarantees of it. And the answer, the short answer is, well, judges are not following the law. Right. They're not following it. They don't, they don't, you know, when I have oral argument, the lawyer I'm going up against who's been calling me names in all the motions doesn't show up. It's a big firm. So they'll send the fifth banana from their firm who knows nothing about the case and pretends there's a conflict. Mm -hmm. So they don't actually have to be accountable for the things they do, such as mail fraud and putting on perjured testimony and lying to the police, all those things that would get a lawyer disbarred, send the fifth banana from that law firm who's just there to put an appearance in. And then the judge, who clearly doesn't even seem like they've even read the motion, doesn't comment, sits there. I think you may have seen one of my order. They won't comment on the content of your motion. And they will put out a decision. Mm hmm. And we know, like in the, the state that you know I'm dealing with, judges are allowed to outsource that. Well, who's the judges aren't writing these? So I don't think the judges are seeing the motions and writing the opinions. The judge in my case has a different writing style every two months. So, I mean, right? You, they're not even looking at evidence. I mean, I have heard this even in my case. They're not even looking at anybody's evidence. No, no, and and in my case, you know, the other. The other sort of boilerplate response you get is, well, you must have done something wrong, mm -hmm. right? And, uh, you know, I, I think I told you earlier, I had a, I had an opinion about family court from what I knew. You know, it's well known to the system that there's bad results in family court. There's, that's one issue. Okay, we know that. And no one cares about that. That's the system. Then there's like these horrific results, right, mm -hmm. where people are thrown in jail and kids are taken and they're all... But I also have come to learn that I always thought it was men that got it handed to them. Um, and that's not true either. So I'm not just coming at it from, oh, I'm a guy. And they really stick it to the men and because of what happened historically with men and, and the family role. I have heard unbelievable, terrible results with women that were great wives or dedicated wives, at least, and mothers that, that identified themselves as mothers, for, let's say, 16 years. Um 
And literally, there's two ways to traffic children. I say traffic because I don't look at what's happening as some kind of deliberative process where there's a decision making, there's findings of fact, there's a hearing. There's no hearings in my case. So it's trafficking. Mm-hmm. You know, very, that's a very, these days, that's a mm-hmm. really big claim. But what else is it? Your child is being taken. You're not thrown in a van and going to Mexico, but they're, they're not, they're gone. They're out there. So, um, you know, and, and with women, you know, the playbook is this, the way to traffic is very simple with men, accuse them of sexual abuse, easy peasy. You know, I was, uh, you know, you, you can have people that were, you know, the greatest people in the world, you know, going to church. But when you accuse someone of that, a man of that, it doesn't matter if he's the nicest guy in the world and he goes to church, he's good to his cocker spaniel and all that. What the other person says, well, what does he like alone with his child? No one, it doesn't matter who it is. It could be Jesus Christ, right? And mm-hmm. you'd say, we don't know. You have to prove the negative. With right. women, with women, and they did this historically. They used to, before they used to get women put in asylums. Right. right? It would create enough influence where the woman would be not in her own little house, but they would be literally in in what's called a loony bin or some Mm -hmm. kind of psych ward. Now they do a thing uh, to get women away from their children. They just say mentally ill. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, there are some women that are mentally ill and there are some, you know, men that, you know, sexually abused. Uh, So I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but, you know, as Bill Burr, the comedian said, when talking about me too, he said, you know, believe women, believe women. He said, all women? (laughs) All, all, can we just believe maybe 87% like all women so and you know so with in the family court which mirrors society at a certain level there's two really bad movements against women right because mm-hmm. of this whole mental health thing and you look at these great athletes and the mental health days so now the average person goes oh maybe that mom cracked maybe she's mentally ill right mm-hmm. and then you know with the me too it I mean, god forbid you know there's ever the accuse they the accuser is never there's no accountability to the accuser right they accuse and you know you believe their word and you know good for her for being you know courageous meanwhile nothing they say is true there's no evidence that would show that it's that even makes sense what's being accused of someone uh but it doesn't matter you know and then cps is another group now they're they're the only hope you have really in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um and that's gonna be maybe what helps me if we ever can get them to see kind of my evidence there's been no i've had no contact the the people Mm -hmm. i'm going against the lawyer and the mom have given cps my incorrect phone number so when so cps says i'm not cooperating well that's a big that's a big crime to do so mm-hmm. now I'm considered as not cooperative. And the good thing is I got the notes, for instance, and I, they wrote down the number that they gave. And now the judge has had that motion for, I think, three or four months. And he's not, I think you saw, he's not going to deal with that. He said, no, he literally, what, literally what he said on the record, I'm not going to deal with that right now. So you're going to call someone cooperative, uncooperative, when the person, the other person who is cooperative is giving the agency the wrong contact information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a big problem. <laughs> right? all, all, all a one-sided, it's a rigged game, right? It's a rigged game, like a rigged car game. You know, dealing from the bottom of the, of the deck, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, not to go off too much. I don't know if you want to 
because I could literally talk for nine hours. <laughs> well, how did you th- how, how did you come across that women are getting more uh, screwed over than men? Well, I've seen I've seen uh, and, you know, by the way, I, I, I don't want to sound obsequious. God bless you. <laughs> uh, a woman told me about your your podcast um, and I, I know scenarios um, as an attorney where they've come to me and I've, 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 I'm not a family lawyer, um, but I've handled uh, you know cases here and there uh, that, and it's usually when they're broke, I, you know, I'm the guy that represents sort of the poor. Um, and what upsets me is in a lot of these scenarios, it's when the, uh, the, fa- the father or the husband is an attorney, a family law attorney in front of the judge that he's in front of all the time, you know, going and, and, you know, making all these outrageous claims and, and doing things like, you know, what you put in an affidavit, right? You know, you write it up and then you have a notary just basically says, is that your signature? It's not like they verify anything. Mm-hmm. So in a scenario that I know of this woman who is, if you met her, I mean, she's the cleanest, she's a Southern belle. She's, you know, really just like a fantastically um, um, sort of old school mom, you know, and, and, uh, really that's her that's who she was that's what she was her whole life and now she's reading affidavits that there's you know maggots uh that there's dog uh, defecation in the house that there's uh, saying things that is easily provable you know but it's in an affidavit that's a sworn document and so now here's someone who's almost like an anal cleaner Mm -hmm. um you know, in my situation, it's like it's like calling. You know, it, it's like the opposite. It's like they 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 call you the opposite of it, and that's what the courts rule on mm-hmm. because they don't verify any facts. And they don't another thing that the courts don't do, which I think should be mandatory, is they should look at the status quo. They should have, before that before it even starts. Let's say they file a motion. I think one of the things that should happen is step one: they should put aside that motion and not read it yet. And bring the parties in and get some basic information. Where do you work? Where do you live? How often do you see the children? Or this kind of stuff. Because if you create bias on the first filing, the, the guy, I mean, I mean, I've been accused of everything but murder. And, I'm, and that's around the corner. Literally. Mm. Um, you know, I've been accused of drug use. And I'm a guy I went to Berkeley. I didn't even smoke pot. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And I have mm-hmm. witnesses that are laughing at the things I'm accused of. Because they're... There's nothing true about them. It's, it's like it's like the it's like calling like, you know, it's like saying um, you know Martin Luther King was about violence and he was about overtaking buildings. You know, it's like really is that what it was about? I thought he did. Nope. Slam the gavel. Ordered Martin Luther King, violent man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it was in an affidavit. Now don't look at the footage. Don't look at the history. Don't look at this guy went to jail for nonviolent marches taken from another, you know, sort of hero, fighting power, Gandhi, that methodology. No. In family court, if the other side called him violent, that would be an order. Mm-hmm. Without a hearing. Okay. And that, I'm, I'm giving it, this is, a, it's, 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 not, it's not, it sounds like an exaggeration. It's not. It's an illustration of how it can be done and is done all the time. Oh, definitely. So, and they verify. So in my case, the scenario was 
both me and the mother sort of, she worked for an investment bank in New York from Sunday through Thursday. She was in New York away from the child. I was, I worked, I'm a lawyer, worked for myself. I had a pretty good settlement. So I was really excited to be a father. I was sort of daddy daycare. So I was the primary parent from birth until it got in the family court. Mm -hmm. We had an apartment in New York and had a little place in Jersey. We were doing okay. And we decided to do a project in Kentucky. We took an old carriage home. We were going to make it something that we could rent out for Derby. Became an investment project. Meanwhile, it was a setup to get jurisdiction in Kentucky to get the Yankee to have to go to Kentucky after six months jurisdictions in Kentucky, even though, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. That's the rule. It's not, it's not flexible at all, but six months, it could be, you know, it's 800 miles away from where both parents are working. That's fine. Jurisdictions in Kentucky. So what they did in my case was the mother were clearly provable by text messages, and flights and all, Sunday night through Thursday, it gets into the court process and the judge rules that I'm a New York attorney, New Jersey attorney. So I get the child on the weekends, just two days. Now, in Kentucky, which is another irony, has the best laws for fathers because they have a law that says there's a presumption of equal time, joint custody and equal time. Other states don't do that. They, they'll give one parent, like, say, let's say, maybe 70, 30 or 60, 40. Kentucky's middle. They do. They said equal time. Mm -hmm. Now that sounds great. That's a great law. It's not apply because because of that law, there's an uptick in false accusations and you know everything else because that's the way you can get rid of that presumption. That makes sense. Yeah. Otherwise, it's great law, but because of that, now there's and you know there's, there's a sort of a disproportionate amount of false accusations and no accountability for falsely accusing. So why not? So in my scenario, mm -hmm. think about it. The child is used to the father every day. Mom's away four days a week. The court rules that the father gets the child on the weekends, right? Friday afternoon to Sunday, you know, at five or something like that. Think about that. So that child now is never seeing the mother. Now, the mother did that because she doesn't want to know that she's in New York, right? Because that's a problem. So they blocked that, never got discovery on that. So here we are. So my child sees, is with the grandma. Uh huh. Up until seeing me for a day and a half on the weekend. The mom gets back on Friday, right? The mom works until Thursday or gets back Thursday night. If anyone that should have the child on the weekend, it should have been the mother. This is an example, like the court should have done a status quo comp, you know. So here's these rulings that are absolutely, you know, traumatic to the child. I mean, the, the, the child is used to something. It's been completely pulled away. That is quo. She's used to seeing her father. Now, the problem with that, too, is, you know, we have all this progress, right? We have, you know, uh, women lawyers, women judges, African-American judges. We have all this progress. But then when it comes to certain cases, you go, oh, no, you're you're the father figure. You work Monday through Friday. Well, no, I don't. I work for myself and I work from home. Mm -hmm. This is a new world. This is not right. leave it to beaver time. Right. So they, the, the, the ruling in the court was the most devastating thing you could do to a child. And how is that in the best interest of the child to literally not only see one parent, you know, a day and a half and have it raised by the grandmother. Uh. And I fought that law. I fought the law. And this is where it gets even. Um, I thought it was a bad law and 
because I did, I got an ethics complaint against me because they said it was frivolous. And believe it or not, that one of the day, it was considered a frivolous argument to contest that jurisdiction question with that statute. I didn't think that, again, back to the legislative intent was never that the child be raised 800 miles away from both parents. There's no way it could mean that. So the judge should have some discretion on that statute to apply the facts differently than if someone's in someone six months, that's the jurisdiction. You know, it'd be like Donald Trump, you know, doing a project in um, in um, Egypt, building a, a, a hotel there or somewhere really far from where he is from, let's say New York. And then he brings his children with him and the project takes six months and then a divorce happens and the kids are now forever going to be in the court system in, you know, Egypt or Hawaii or whatever. Does that make sense? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And, but there's no, they're, 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 again, there's, and one of the other analogies is, and look, I'm being critical. This is a very dangerous thing to do to, as an attorney, be, be critical of the system mm-hmm. and, and then ask for relief from a system where you basically are pointing out what's wrong with it. But that horse left the barn. Mm-hmm. And these judges, um, literally, the best analogy is they're, they're the lifeguard at the pool that's asleep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, or the inmate running the asylum, right? Attica. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's one scenario that would have been avoided if they, before they got into who struck John and who's a bad person, get some general information. Where is that child and who is that child with, you know, during the week? Mm-hmm. Because to say it's best interest of the child to rip that out. You know, my, my daughter developed an eye problem after that. And, and I looked at it. It wasn't because of her eyes. That, that was considered what happens to children when there's a trauma. She had started wearing glasses after that. Mm. And, you know, my poor daughter, I don't want to think about it. But um, that was a, that the courts did that. That's their work. Well, sure, because it increased, it increased her ACEs score with all that trauma being taken away and living here, living there. Now you're being raised by grandma, which is what happened to my kids. Because when my ex took my kids, he dumped them off at his mother's or dumped them off on his, his uh, right. new future ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my kid, the, the mother doesn't, isn't involved at all. It's, it's, it's at two, she was getting French lessons and the grandma was a French teacher and at uh, doing, doing like horseback riding lessons at two, three. I mean, can you think of a more dangerous thing to do? Why? Because then you don't have to take care of it. Right. And then also you, you, you ramp up the cost of what a childcare is. We, we have, a, we really have our three-year-old like learning ballet uh, with, with uh, Barishnikov, mm-hmm. you know, um, shouldn't you be with the, the parent a little bit? <laughs> raised by strangers. Right. That's the new world we live in too. Right? We have sort of our kids being raised by, you know, they don't go out and play anymore. It's like a play date that's scheduled. Like we're, we're almost raising little executives, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're always scheduled to do something, uh, but that's another story for another day. Well, yeah, that'll, that'll be another podcast for another day. Funny you should say "Raised by Strangers" because my my third book that will be coming out is called "Raised by These Wolves," <laughs> and, yeah. and because these kids are being yanked around and they're not being taught the the niceties or you know, please thank you or you know, sending it. No. You know, they're not being taught. No. Um, and not to bring religious and religion into it. Like we, I was raised with it. 
mm-hmm. the mother was raised without it. My child's being raised without it. Um, and you can say what you want, even though you can be really critical of the Catholic church. And I'm, I mean, I'm not Catholic, but I'm, I'm sort of interdenominational, but there are lessons you learn in church, right? There's a, you see people interact. There's a, a pleasantness to, you know, how you interact with strangers, how you interact in a environment that's not your own backyard. Those are great things for children to learn. Right. And not necessarily something that a child can learn from a parent. Mm-hmm. But when they're, you know, otherwise being, you know, dropped off, you know, with these like, you know, a chaotic, you know, guy that has a pony ranch that walks him around or whatever, whatever things are being done, drop him off at a pool. I mean, you know, th- th- there's a, uh, it's really scary, um, you know, uh, that, that there's less and less uh, involvement of the, the children. And I, I, I read something interestingly about the women's movement um, that, you know, the, the real reason the people that were behind that movement, you know, it, it was the, the way it was sold was liberty, liberty, right? And they did all these commercials with they did a lot of print ads with like women smoking a cigarette with other girls and drinking coffee and all that. And it was a really good buildup for women's rights for getting more women in the workplace. And really, the, the game plan was to have women in the workplace to have the fam- family sort of be divided and now there's not a family unit and now there's two taxpayers because i don't know if you know the united states was essentially sold in 1913 to a thing called the fed there's about i think there's 13 people or groups that have that and we all pay taxes to them they all the money they lend us so they needed two people to pay mm-hmm. not just one and that was one of the that, and i read this that doesn't mean you know i read that was one of the reasons they wanted uh, the liberation movement, but I still think that I, I, you know, I'm a purist. I still like the idea. I mean, my mother was, you know, worked and was the, sort of the main breadwinner. I like the idea of women working, but the fact that it was sinister to have, you know, the sooner you can get your children into school mm-hmm. and aware of parent, then you have right the state as the indoctrination, uh, which is ugly. <clears throat> you know, and it's and- true. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's true, and. Um, uh, you know, it's the women's rights movement really didn't do anyone any favors, either women or men, as well as the patriarchy hurts men as well as women. Yeah. It's, uh, well, the question is, how does it, how do we, how does it get turned around? Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, like I said, I think people don't realize it and people don't believe me. You know, they say, you must have done something. They don't believe me that, how can your kid be? It, there's a law that says you can't have a kid taken away from the parent for more than five days. It doesn't matter what the law is. If you have a lifeguard asleep, right, at the right. pool, and there's a and there's a, there's a law that says you can't go in, you know, in the deep end, it doesn't matter that there's a law that says you can't go in the deep end, right? Right. <laughs> so, well, so, see, the family court judges, they just make the rules up as they go along. In fact... You know, there was a judge and it was quoted in the newspaper where she yelled at an attorney, I don't have to follow the Constitution. So this that's is what we're dealing with. That, and that's it. So that's one of the things I said here is that, you know, the system, um, I went sort of in reverse order. The system, be, that's exactly right. The, the Constitution does not apply in the family court. Think about that. Mm-hmm. So the number one guarantee of our rights 
is not in the family court. Mm-hmm. So what is that? What happens if you don't have rights oh. or guaranteed by our government when it comes to who's raising your child? If you even get to see your child, whether you have, you know, you know, my scenarios that, you know, they're, they have a, they're trying to do, have me pay child support. That's literally four times my income. How can, how can you do that? Oh yeah. They make up these figures. They, they, impute I mean, I mean if, right. If my taxes were X for 10 years, how can you say I make five times X? Now that's something that, you know, eventually will be appealed, but they, you know, in my case, they don't, they're not going to rule until my, you know, ever, but that's something that an appellate court would say, wait a minute, this is confiscatory. You, how do you, how do you get someone to pay something they don't have? Right. Well, that's um, what my, that's what my judge did to me, even though I had, I was involuntarily terminated from my nursing career. She still had it in her head. Mm-hmm. That I was actually working full time as a nurse. They, so and she, they, they, yeah. Uh-huh. And yep. she just imputed me at this figure of I think she she had me making I think was it almost four thousand a month. It's like why well, I never made. I wish I yeah. could make four thousand a month. But gee, maybe whoever filed the second indication of emotional child abuse on me maybe shouldn't have done that. Yeah, so they screwed themselves essentially. Oh yeah, no. I mean, he was like, oh, you're a lawyer. Lawyers make a lot of money. I'm like, well, I'm a civil rights lawyer. So what about the guy that represents people that have no money? Does he right. does he rich? They don't hear that, right? Right, right. Nurses, they work forever. They make good living. You always have a job. Right. Really? Well, at least, look, the fact that she even, like, knew you were a nurse is impressive, right? Oh, right. (laughs) That's a big-time discovery there. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, look, it's hard to not, and I I think in a lot of ways, they really, they they create scenarios. Like you said, you're the pro se. Same thing's happened with me. Pro se litigants that can't afford a lawyer are paying the attorney fees to the people that can't afford an attorney. I mean, think about the unfairness in that. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. No. And, right? and that, that's unconstitutional. Yeah. I, I'm an, I have an appeal right now where because I opposed the motion, mm-hmm. the judge wrote that I was manipulating the system and I was using tactics. It was their motion. It was their burden of proof. Mm-hmm. So so when I oppose motions, I get hit for attorney fees for opposing motions. So in other words, in other words, they're saying, give up, get out of here. Right. Pack your bag and go back to Soprano territory. We don't want you, we're, you know, in Kentucky. Um, they should just say that rather than, but it, again, it's, you know, and we know like life, it's, you know, it's not like I hate the cliche. You know, it's all about the money. It is all about the money. It is. It's a, it's a reason why, Cases are taking a hundred years and they should be decided in, you know, probably less than a year. They really don't need to go. I mean, what exactly are we deciding here? Right. There's, there's, there's what, there's three issues or something like that. That doesn't really need. And then you're, then they involve the whole system. You know, you're paying for psychiatrists, you're paying for retired judges to be friends of the court judges that make opinions that the judge can look at or not. And, and, and everyone's paying for everyone's got a psychologist all of a sudden everyone's got uh and then there's a friend of the court and then the child gets a their own lawyer so then there's a you know guardian of light light him and then that that's always a really dangerous thing because that's usually the friend of one side you know, i recommend the guy i went to high school with to be the gay you know they call it a gale right yeah guardian um and then you're like 
And that's the other thing. You don't, there's literally no, there's no conflict of interest. You I found out my case that the judge, so in, in Kentucky, they're elected judges and they don't have to have been family lawyers. Okay. So they could be, you know, criminal lawyers or, you know, whatever. So what's important in Kentucky is who the staff attorney is. So that's the attorney that is the person that knows the law really well and writes the opinions for the judges. Okay. I say that for a reason. So in New Jersey, you know, there's a family law judge that's usually someone's a new judge and then they'll have uh, a clerk and the clerk is someone who just got out of law school and for a year they clerk for a judge and they learn from that judge. And then they go on in Kentucky. The clerk is actually, you know, the person with the knowledge unlike in some states where it's just the law student. So in Kentucky, you have a judge, a law clerk, who's really the, the, the person that knows the law. In my case, the law clerk was married to the lawyer I was going up against. Now, you would think the judge would have to reveal that. Mm-hmm. Right? So you can say, well, that doesn't mean he's going to be unfair. Really? I <laughs> conflict. So the husband comes home, I'm dealing with this jerk, McElwain, and, and his wife's not going to have be influenced by that. Oh, and you're writing the opinion, by the way, um, honey. Pass the salt. Oh, definitely. I can relate to that because my ex's wife worked in the courthouse as a clerk. I don't know what she does now, but yeah. And, and my attorney said, oh, that, that won't be a conflict of interest. Don't worry. <laughs> my, my lawyer said it too. And, and the other thing is, this is the other really big problem because these family lawyers make their living in front of these judges, they're not going to expose them because they have another case tomorrow or two that day. Mm-hmm. So you're, if you get a bad result, it's next to impossible to, because I've had my, I've had lawyers who were my lawyers say, Oh, you can't file an this complaint. Oh, you can't appeal that. Oh, don't worry. You know, right here I am foregoing doing things because my lawyer doesn't want to criticize how bad the judge is on appeal. Right. So in my case, we, I said, hey, I'm not going to let the judge's clerk be married to the lawyer I'm not going up against. So I filed. I got a courageous lawyer who, you know, a woman who's my hero. So it's funny, you know, you can't, you know, I, I got some trying to kill me and some trying to help me. So and right. you're one of the ones trying to help me, but wrote a thing to have the judge sort of recuse. And the judge did recuse. Uh, but it it went from bad. I went from Stalin to Hitler. So, I mean, oh. it went from bad. It was, and then I, you know, it was almost like, oh, oh yeah, you, okay, we'll give you another judge. It's worse, right? So it's like, uh, and I didn't think it was possible, but uh, man, it is. Uh, I, I have no rights, uh, and, and and you know, you think, oh, you're a lawyer, you must be able to. Nope. No, it doesn't matter um, because even in the case of Catherine Yusef Kasanov, she was a, a federal attorney. Uh, it didn't matter. They, they ruined her as well in so many ways yeah well that's what they're doing yeah i mean they're 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 dead set on that from trying to lose my license as a lawyer lost my daughter like okay mm-hmm. you know um so the question is you know and the advice i get is you know you're not going to win leave get out and then i have other sides that says that's not your style you know i mean some right. of my big my biggest results were you know being too dumb to quit um Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to win, but I also don't think, you know, this is, this has become something that I think I'm going to, because of what I see there, um, dedicate my life to and helping people in this situation, 
even though I don't want to, you know, I have, I have PTS going to a family court, but I don't, you know, forget about my case and my daughter and all that. What is, you know, what about the next person? You know, um, they should know the, this is the playbook on how your kid's going to be taken. And my lawyer told me, she said that, you know, that certain things were going to happen and they did. And I prepared for it and I did things and it didn't matter because we don't have a hearing. I'm ready. I'm ready to, I can't wait for a trial, you know, 20 years from now. Oh, but, God. but yeah, so, um, yeah, that's, that's the scenario there. Right. That's yeah. it because they keep, um, well, at least also in my case, probably in a lot of people's cases, the opposing attorney puts in continuances after continuances. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is not healthy for mm -hmm. the, the, the target parent. Um, you know, I just don't know. I just think family court should just be outright abolished, take it down to civil court, have your six person jury and and let's be done with all of this stuff within, you know, nine months to a year. Well, I think not. and it can't be abolished. It needs to be looked at and there needs to be some um, what they call reform. OK, I don't Which know. It, can you, though? You can do it. But I mean, I think the three things that we, like what I said, have a status conference before you read any motion. Right. On the basics, because look at what happened in my case. Right. That's one thing. Um, I think a jury trial uh, on the big issue. Right. Um, mm -hmm. The the custodial evaluator and all that stuff. And. Um, I think that these judges like a career politician, I don't think they should be career judges. I think that they right. should be, you know, and that's the problem when there's elected judges. But I really think there should be like a term limit so that they'll do the right thing, you know, this idea. And then, you know, maybe they can graduate to another type of judge. It's not going to happen, but it should, because, right. you know, there's a thing called the, you know, the appearance of impropriety in my case situation, the law firm I'm going up against literally runs fundraisers for that judge. Um, so, okay. Think about that one. Yep. That, hey, there's, that's told, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay. And then you have the attorneys, on the social media of the judge, giving them thumbs up and, Oh, you like the Boston Celtics. I do. I mean, that's crazy to me. I, I, you know, when I was doing, during my case, when my friend of the court judge, I got a friend request on, on Facebook. I called her up and said, Hey, I'm just letting you know, I got, you know, Facebook will do that. Right. They'll shoot you a friend request. If they see yeah. someone in your circle, I called the judge and said, look, I'm, I'm declining for obvious reasons. Right. These are the appearance of impropriety. You know, you see what, I, Oh my God, isn't Tim light. Look at him petting a puppy and taking yeah. care of, handicap yeah. right the influencer but i did that but the other side's not they're like judge i can't believe what a great athlete you were you know it's like oh my god <laughs> it's yeah. like and it saddens me because i used to you know there's certain things about this country that i was so proud of and uh yeah heartbroken i mean i'm more almost as heartbroken about the system than as losing a, uh, my daughter mm -hmm. raised without a father mm-hmm um, yeah, definitely. And children are not resilient. I really uh, not with with this family court uh, torture scheme, extortion scheme. Yeah, those are good words for it. Because some things cannot be fixed. You've got yep. ACEs scores. You got high, kids with high ACEs scores. Kids with ulcers in their stomachs, and you know because of just being so upset all the time, walking on eggshells, living with the uh, favored parent as opposed to the target target parent. So they have to please that favored parent 
Yeah. And do anything wrong. Oh, God forbid what could happen to them. There's about there's actually a book on this. It's called Parent Interrupted. And it gets into that. What happens and then the complete control of the, the because now the child thinks, oh, my God, I might lose this parent next. Right. Then there's like this ganging up on, you know, if you saw videos of me and my daughter, I mean, I was father of the year. I went from that to, you know, she, the, the mother took down all the social media because it was all positive. Um, and then I became this this, this monster. Uh-huh. Um, and it's in an affidavit, so it must be true. So yeah. um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's tough. Well, it's, it's, and that's, and I, and I appreciate people saying, well, I had, maybe I was saying, just, you know, just let it go. In my situation, I really can't let it go because they're, they're trying to throw me in jail. And they're trying Dave, to, that's what my, happened to me. Exactly. Yeah. You can't stop. You have I, and to. I, I, and as a father, I was like, you know what? I don't think it's good because what happens, I would see my daughter. We'd have an unbelievable time. And then next time I would see her, she'd have all these, daddy, make sure you, I mean, she was ready because the mom gaslit her. And said, mm-hmm. oh, you're crying? You're not crying because you missed daddy. You're crying because daddy hurt you. This is the kind of crap I'm dealing with. Oh, so that, definitely. like, you, you know, and you'll do things. Like, I, one of the things I do, I, my little daughter loved it. I, you know, you, you blow on her belly to make, like, the, like the oh, fart sound. Oh, I do sound. that to my, my chihuahua, yeah. yes. Fart sound, especially if I had my beard. It was like, yeah. you know, mad. <laughs> and then, or I put my foot on her stomach and, uh, right? That yeah. became, that became an affidavit that I was hurting her, right? That I was, you know, that I'm, and I'm pushing too hard. And I'm playing too rough or whatever. My daughter's never scratched her knee with me. There's been no incidences at all. Now, on the other hand, I see her. She has a black eye and she's, oh, this is, this is an accident. <laughs> I'm like, oh, one of the jokes I said was, oh, yeah, tell it to the judge, my little girl daughter. But like, uh, oh. unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so what happens is now the daughter, after the second, if the first visit has all these complaints and it's usually done at the exchange. And then as soon as I get her in the car, then it changes. Okay, daddy, what are we doing? Because right. she's doing that for mommy. And then one time after she saw me, she started crying to the mother. It's an emotion. And she didn't want to say I, she was crying because she missed daddy. She said she's crying. And she said she missed. She meant she said the supervised visitation person. Because hmm. she didn't want to say daddy. So here's my daughter hedging her oh, best. Yeah. And then and then and that's why as a father, I was like, you know, this is not I have to protect my daughter. And maybe the best thing is for me not to be in her life. Now she's seven now. She's going to learn logic. So now I'm, I'm really ramping up the fight because between the edges of this, this thing has been going on since she's been almost three. Mm. So it's, it's from three. So now I think she knows logic a little bit, but she's been indoctrinated. Right. Even though there's right. no, um, but yeah, it's, 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 so I, I thought, you know, maybe I have to protect her. And every time I'm in her life, she gets grilled and there's turmoil and she's anxious. Mm. And, um, you know, and they're so, then they, I would get blocked from my daughter. And what they would write is, well, she went to, she was in school that week, the, the month when I was blocked from my daughter, after she was seeing me regularly, my daughter was acting out and she was, you know, hitting other kids and everything else. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, they accredited that to not the fact that the, the father has been taken out of her life. And maybe that's why she's upset. They're like, oh, she's doing that because she was just with her father. I mean, think about this logic. Oh, definitely. So with the father, when she was with the father, she was doing great. And then she's no longer with the father and she's not doing great. And they say she's not doing great because of the father visits, not the fact that you took the kids with dad away. I mean, this logic is like, it's it's insane. And it's, but that this is what's going on. People say the most incredible things and no, it becomes like the truth. It's like, you know, the old, the bigger the lie, the more they'll believe it. But oh, this yeah. is the stuff I'm going up against. I go, do they, 
Uh, so it's, it, look, I have people and I said, look, I, I, I agree with that, that it maybe it wouldn't be good being in her life because it's the turmoil. But then, you know, what's happened is because the, the two and a half years I have not been seeing my daughter, they, the, the, the mother has gone to CPS pretty much every week or so. Mm-hmm. So I finally got the CPS records and she's going to CPS and it's like a fishing store. She keeps adding. So she said an incident happened four years ago that originally CPS is like, this is basically it's crap. There's no severity. It didn't happen. It was not, and it's for something to be unsustained by CPS. Uh-huh. That's amazing. So they didn't sustain it, but she kept going back on the same incident for four, three, three years and then started to add things. Right. Saying mm-hmm. I have generational violence in my family. And I like, I mean, I was reading this stuff that was like crazy and said, like, I failed a drug test and then named a drug that I've had a prescription for for, for 15 years. And CPS, you know, they just write it down. So if someone comes in and says, OK, well, what happened was my daughter, there was an elephant that's 800 pounds that went through the window of my daughter's room and got in bed with her. And the CPS would write that down. Elephant went through the window and jumped in bed with daughter. Now that's in the now that's now now we know that's not possible. <laughs> that right. an elephant goes through a window the size of this, that's that's uh, twelve inches, but that gets written down because it was Ted told to them it gets written down. Right. Yeah. Um, in my case, CPS was called, which I never knew for. Um, possibly two years, but they, it was everything. They, they just didn't bother me with it because they knew it was unsustained. And uh, I can't even talk today. It was yeah. sustainable. So, but they found a, a caseworker where they could find something that would stick, which wasn't even, I was exonerated from both charges. However, it cost me my career. Yeah. Yeah. And, no, my- it got sustained. So my and they, and there, I think it was the, the 19th name that I saw finally got me some woman, whatever she got me and, you know, started saying, I mean, I don't want to get into the things that are said because it's like, you know, my name's attached. And I mean, I will eventually get into it because it's I, it, it almost it has to be said how how ridiculous. But the accusations are so bad. It's like, Tim, you, you know, even if even if I win, you can't win. Right. Right. Use right. this. And you win. It's like, oh, he only won because he's a lawyer. Well, not because it's a, a you know, a BS count, you know, um, anyway. But yeah, no, that, that, and they just will keep going until they find someone or they get it right. Right. You know? Right. Like, you know, they keep going. And then, the, and, and they're okay with that. And that's sad because, you know, in, especially a state like Kentucky that doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a lot of resources, to have resources on two people, you have to understand before this, entered a family court there was never anything there was no calls of the police no domestic violence, nothing zero nothing uh and then you get the family court and then you just start it doesn't matter that there's been nothing in the past because you you just have to say it right Mm -hmm. you know uh i have 11,000 i have 11 i have 1,100 pages of text messages going back i think like five years that you can't find one text where I'm mean or say anything nasty. Right. You one thing where, you know, it's all, you know, where are you? Hunter missing, you know, my whatever they would get into different uh things about our relationship. You can see in the text messages that it's not even close to what's being said now in family court with that relationship. Right. So anyway, um yeah, I don't know how it gets fixed. I think I think uh 
people like you, uh, I think, you know, in my situation is I want cameras in the court. Yes. yes. I want the judge. I want the people to see a judge rule. You know, I have the best expert literally in the world. She's very hard to get. And she's going to testify. Mm-hmm. Now, I also have a case in federal court for that. You know, they're trying to throw it out for emotional, for intentional infliction, of emotional distress and defamation. Because when they went to, when they went to, when they went to uh, CPS, they started to say things were defamatory. Um, and, but, but there's going to be the family court. I want, I almost want people to see, oh my God, look at this judge. How is this judge ruling? You know, here's this person is the best, you know, and trains police forces and the FBI and she's testifying and it's the most obvious case he's ever seen. And he's going to rule against it, which he will, you know, he will we'll rule against her. You know, they'll say something like, well, you know, they'll say something that's like silly. Like, well, you haven't evaluated her last week. The, the daughter's, you know, you know, like, uh, I, I just can't. I can't imagine. But, but well, you know, yeah, you, you have to keep trying. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, and like you said, how they twist things on, you know, why, why, why the kid's crying or whatever. But then you've got these nutty therapists. Like, for instance, when I visited my my boys, I wore this necklace that says "Love You More," and it's like something a parent always says to the kid. The kid says, "Oh, I love you, mom or dad," and the mom or dad will say, "I love you more." It's like it's not a big thing, right? Even my friend found the necklace at TJ Maxx. She said, "This is oh, this is you say this all the time." And then again, I was walking or going into Giant Eagle. I see a mom and daughter walking out, and the daughter says, "Oh, mom, I love you," and the mom goes, "I love you more." So it's a common saying, right? But you get some nutty, inept psychologist that does not know what child psychological abuse is. And she'll say, that necklace, that, and this is how she said it, because her voice is really annoying. That necklace demonized the father. Right. right. Yeah. I knew that. Right. That means you're a better parent than him. Not you, you love her more than the daughter loves you, which is how everyone, every parent feels. Right. No. And it's amazing what they'll run the court with. I had a situation. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. So I had one where, because my dad, my, my my daughter would be like, you know, daddy, is this your house? And the mom would be like, he doesn't live here. Blah, blah, blah. He lives in New Jersey. And, then I'm, and, I'm, and I had this great townhouse I got that she loved her room. And she had like an Elsa bed and all this. Never got to sleep in it, by the way. Uh, but we'd go with the and I had to have, I agree. Anyway, I'll get into that. I got blocked from my daughter for six months and, uh, basically agreed to draconian terms. Just, to, just my lawyer said you have to reestablish a relationship, and then we I agreed to supervised visitation, even though the accusation was considered BS. By, but it was good. Now I have a third party that observing my daughter, which you would think would be a feather in my hat. So the show, there's this is a daughter that you know is not afraid of this. You know, she's, she's bossing me around. She's jumping on my lap. So the things I got accused of, it's not even consistent. Right. But what I my daughter because she was like. She was sad, you know. She loved her. She was. She. We would do. We would do scenarios, and she would say, "Let's make pretend I'm sleeping over," mm-hmm. and she would do this thing where, you know, and I wake her up in the morning. That's what I used to do. Oh. So I gave her. I and we used to go shopping with this one place that had like you know boats and all this. It was like one of those. What, what are they called? Um, like it's it's like a you know it's a huge place that sells like sporting goods. I would take her in there because there was animals and she loved you know all the boats and stuff. And I got her a necklace that was a little her pink heart and i put a like a just a fake key on it, it was a key of something i'm known as for uh-huh. and i was like on i said remember daddy's always close to you and you always have a key to daddy's heart and his house oh well, that, be- that became emotion oh my what's, god what's the deal with this heart 
what's the deal with this key? Explain it. And because this is, I, I, I want my daughter to not, I don't, my daughter's being told that I left her, which is horrible. Right. Um, and then I hurt mommy. What? <sighs> you know, and like, you, you know, and, and this kind of stuff. And it's like, hurt mommy, what, what? this kind of thing. So, and then I had my daughter say, daddy, why are they saying you hurt me? And I'm looking over at the term. I go, are you going to write that down? Oh. oh, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. You didn't hear it. <sighs> Why are they telling me you hurt me is what my daughter said to me. Uh, and it doesn't. Oh, see, see, all of that's child psychological abuse. That that supervisor should have written that down. So that child is a child psych psychological abuser. Um, the judge that's entertaining this is a child psychological abuser. Don't get me started. Yeah, no, I, I um, and then, you know, with my scenario, because we had a court ordered therapist. And I thought, well, look, I don't want to influence her, right? And be like trying to charm her and like, hey, hang on. Well, that became, he never checked in on me. And my lawyer's like, well, doesn't that show a lot of restraint to let you treat his daughter without him? Whereas then it's in the notes, all the things that the mother tells the therapist, and I won't get into all this stuff. The therapist did write down, there was no evidence of this, you know, except for what the mom told me. So I have those kind of nice things, but I'm not going to have a trial, you know, everything. And I, I actually, believe it or not, I got the chance to take the deposition of my daughter's pediatrician who wrote a terrible affidavit that there's no way she wrote it. And she showed up for a deposition. I, I can't believe it. I had an hour to get it on the record. I'll show it to you. And literally everything that was told to her, she got from the mother. And I just, and I showed it wasn't true. Like she said, like the daughter doesn't have her own place to stay at daddy's house. Daughter sleeps with her father. Daughter takes baths with her dad. I showed her a picture of me. I'm, I'm a former Division One quarterback. I'm 6'4", let's say 230. I show a picture of me in the bathtub. I literally don't fit. It looks like an elephant on a stool. Oh. The other thing is I show her a video of my daughter, because my lawyer was smart, take videos, in the bathtub, just happy as can be. And she, my daughter, I guess, who's a little crazy, I guess, she loves cold water. Mm -hmm. I did when I was a little kid. But Oh, guess who doesn't like cold? Males. I don't okay. like taking baths with, even if she's two. She was two at the time, by the way. Mm -hmm. What? One, I don't fit in the thing. Two, I'm not getting in, you know, so. Right. And then, then the pediatrician who wrote it down because she got the information from the mother was like, oh, I guess I was wrong about that. Here's her bedroom, which is awesome. Um, she wouldn't comment on the bathtub thing because I guess I could, I don't know how I could. Was you know, I don't know where she even goes. It's such a funny picture. I almost, I almost look stupid in it, but oh. I knew. And that's why too. If you get, if you start accusing people, right. right? Why don't you go to the police? Why are you going to family court? Exactly. Think about that. One. Right? Isn't that you're really going to go to family court and you're going to start accuse people of, of bad stuff? That's that's another. Shouldn't that be a? You know why? Because the family court would have came. I mean, the the the, the police would have came in and looked at me. It would have been the investigation would have been over in three seconds. Right, right. Yeah, this is what has got to go. These false accusations and calling them out in family court. And this is why family court must be abolished and take it back down to civil court. There's no way we we can reform this this well-oiled machine that's extorting money from parents to use children as pawns. And just to let you know, a really good book came out recently called Alienated When Parents Won't Parent by Lisa Goodpastor. Here's a picture of the book. Oh, wow. Lisa. And, 
pastor. Yeah, at least a good pastor. And uh, I just ordered it. I can't wait to read it because I'm dealing with one that's alienated, won't talk to, hasn't talked to me since I would say in general since 2014. So mm. that's life. But um, unbelievable. Yeah. So, you know, and the thing also, what Lisa points out in her TikToks is that it's the stepmothers that are influencing these kids. And so, in my case, the stepmother could not have kids of her own, so she stole mine. A very convenient way. And yeah. this, this is another podcast. I won't bore anybody with it. Uh, no, and I mean, towards that end, like, I have a friend. <clears throat> I, like, I, I can give you a lot of bad results in a family court. One was a really bad divorce that happened because the guy was a stockbroker, and when the fall of the market happened, oh. the woman literally, the, the, the wife divorced him 11 days later. So he was making, let's say, seven hundred thousand dollars, and by the time that the divorce happened, he had seventeen dollars in his bank account. Well, oh. the judges ruled that he makes a million dollars a year. Meanwhile, the market fell. So I, I had to cross-examine. You know, there was people that had you know MBAs from Harvard that had hedge funds that went bankrupt. There was unbelievable banks that went went under. The whole U.S. economy needed trillions of dollars to. But but my guy, who's the father. Is is was bad with his finances? <laughs> How about but but they're not the United States and all these like you know these these investment bankers that were Harvard educated. That's okay, but he's gonna. So they made him pay an amount he couldn't make one payment, and then they're gonna throw him in jail. They're gonna take his license away if he can't make a twenty three thousand dollar payment a month. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because his tax record showed for the last two years that's what he's making. Yeah, see, this is why I think these domestic relations units should be audited and those should be revamped. Uh, there's a lot I'd like to see done. But, 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 so let me get to the other scenario. So the mother, and he was like a, he was a football player, so he wasn't in the best shape, let's say. And he, like, he was always, but he was a great athlete, whatever. But his wife was like pretty, whatever. And she would, they have a daughter. <clears throat> and she, the mother was always calling the, the, the father a fat SHIT. Mm hmm. Now, think about that. The daughter is half daddy, right? Right. My parents were divorced too. My mom never said a negative thing about my father. Right. Because she knew I was half him. Uh, he was from Western Pennsylvania, like you know, where you are. And that was a good thing because I, you know, knew my dad was a really good businessman. He was 6'4". He had a good person. All that she'd never, she would say nothing but positive things about him. Mm -hmm. That was good. That was my mom's credit. In this scenario with my friend, this child has been told hears that the father is a fat person and guess what the daughter is now a fat person oh my now, God. now this now now this is you know 11 years i forget how, how many years it is but i think she's in high school now and she's overweight she has eating disorders mm. but she her half of her is that is a fat and this kind of stuff right right but she's the you know she's the the, the, parent, the parent that uh, has the kid all most of the time and then what's sad too is when the kids, and then especially daughter, when they get to a certain age, they don't they want to be with their friends anyway. So, right. like I'm I'm losing, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with her confidence and not having a dad around and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty obvious what will happen. But you know, pretty soon when she's in when she's seventeen or fifteen, when she she doesn't want to be with any parent, right? She wants to go right. Play. So that's the other scenario where 
it's really a small window. That's why these these courts for them to take this long. I mean, they are they, it is ap- it's 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 criminal. It's really it it's, it, yeah. it's it's the worst type of crime. You know, the great storytellers, um, Steven Spielberg, who's fantastic, right? He knows, he knows, he looks through a lens, he knows how. And I love movies for the sense, because as a trial lawyer, you have to tell a story and you you do things like, you know, have the reluctant hero, how to introduce the villain. They're very good at that in Hollywood. They know how to do that. And Steven Spielberg, I think if you remember, one of his great movies was about the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, I guess, series, right? Mm-hmm. And he thought of the worst thing you could possibly do to inflict harm was he told the story about how in this, wherever it was, they took the children. So the whole story was about these children that got taken from their parents and were put in sort of like, you know, and he does the whole thing where they're in work camps and they're like, you know, they're hitting with a, with a big uh, ax or hitting mm-hmm. coal. And the, oh, the whole motive of the story, which gets you as a viewer, you know, you're crying. The worst thing you can do, the worst thing that Steven Spielberg, the biggest villain he could come up with was, was the Nazis. That's a good one. Uh-huh. And the biggest thing he could do to, to show the emotions was a parent being taken from the child. Mm-hmm. And they do that in family court at nauseam without yeah. thought. And Steven Spielberg said, this is the number one way to get somebody really emotional in my movie. So I don't know if I'm making any sense. Oh, yeah, definitely. I don't. Yes, exactly. You know, these other courts that have legitimate hearings and trials and all that. Think about it. They're considered more serious. Okay, look, if someone gets run over by a car and they have broken leg and they have a limp for the rest of their life, that's that is a big deal. There's no question. Mm -hmm. But to psychologically. Right. Mess someone up who needs both parents. Right. Um, that is way worse than someone who got ran over by a truck by Walmart, mm-hmm. but not the system. The system views it. That's a serious courtroom. And the family court is, you know, you know, it's an area where there's literally, I mean, it really should be called anti-family court. Oh, so I want, yeah. I want to, I want to start a competing podcast with you just to, you know, keep you on your toes. No one will watch it, but because um, one scenario I thought of is family court, was told to me it's like um the movie i think it's called the thunderdome you know two people enter one exits yeah that's what family court has become a place to let one person beat up another person who ended the at the end of the relationship let's pick someone who deserves to be beat up because that relationship ended and it has zero to do with it. This whole, they say best interest of the child. It makes me, it's so, I want to put someone through a window. Yeah. And they'll say that word and that's an opinion. So, oh yeah, it's in the best interest of the child. And then there's these laws that say you're supposed to maximize the amount of time that each parent can be with the child. They do the opposite. Oh, ex- the opposite. exactly. Yeah. They start reducing time. And yeah. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I don't want to keep you all morning because we're going to do another podcast. <laughs> really yeah uh, all right well hopefully i'll lose weight for the next one i mean i, I look really puffy here <laughs> oh no i don't think so <laughs> everyone looks 10 pounds heavier on camera <laughs> but yeah, well, thank, could... yeah sorry yeah uh, well thank you again and no, I, but listen, not, people... I don't mean to be i don't mean to be uh again i use the word obsequious i had to look it up it means you're you know you know being a little brown noser but i mean god bless you 
I mean, oh, thank it, you. You know, you know, it is one creative too. It's so needed. Um, you know, I hope you can get your viewership up. I think that even someone who hasn't been through the family court, if they heard this, I think would be sensitive to it and motivated. You know, the problem too is the people that know family court have been through it. You know, there's your grassroots, but there should be people that know because what it what's important is. If, let's say you didn't have a bad family divorce or, and I never even got married. You know, the, the child was, we had a child when we were, when we were friends and it, 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 because we didn't get married, this is why she, she's punishing me. Mm -hmm. So, but the, 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 the parents that have children that go to school with the, the child who has a horrible, you know, family setup, they're affected by this, mm -hmm. right? You know, that, that, that my daughter is in the school, right. I'm going to be making friends with, Healthy families, so healthy families should want family court to deal with these children differently. I'm not right. saying my daughter's become like a you know a serial killer or something, but I'm saying I don't know what the the, the, the effects are going to be. Maybe she's going to be able to mask it, and you know. And I always, I always, one of the people that I that really I started to like to watch her movies, and I started to identify with was uh, Audrey Hepburn. Oh yeah. yeah, and Audrey Hepburn in society was the leading lady. She was an A-lister. She was the first like million dollar woman actress. And she was an unbelievable dancer and she was an unbelievable, you know, actress and everything, right? Entertainer. When Audrey Hepburn was six years old, her father left or was taken away or whatever. And she never, at six. And she always mourned that. And at one point she, I think, tried to find it, whatever. And while the persona of Audrey Hepburn was this, Oh my, I want to be her. What a great, I mean, what a, right. What a beauty. She never had him. She always had trouble with her relationships. She was always sad. Mm -hmm. We see her in movies as like this, you know, the fun loving, you know, charming, yeah. well-dressed her as a person who lost a parent. I'm going to say just definitely father, but in that situation as a father, because there's a difference between a father and a daughter and a mother and a daughter or, you know, of, mother and the son and father. so she lost her father at the age of six and really that never happened never it never came together again and her whole life she had a, a hole oh yeah. and while the family court would be like look how good audrey hepper is doing. That's, uh -huh. that's how they would say well look how, oh yeah because that's what they say, oh look how good she's doing oh really you really know what's going on inside and why audrey hepper never had a meaningful relationship is that doing good yeah she's made a lot of money mm -hmm. she's a darling but I use her scenario and it, and it really resonated with me because I was thinking, I hope that's not going to be my daughter. Um, no. I don't want to that now, but yeah. Where she's going to, I think she's very smart. I think she's going to do great things regardless, but you know, the, what, what bothers me is what's going on inside. Right. But she's, you know, she's beautiful and smart and all that. And she might go on to be president, who knows, but mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's the outside. Right. What's going on in the inside. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I still want to have you back on, but how can people reach you if they have any questions? Oh, boy. I guess email. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, you can call, I guess, but I mean, I guess email. Um, I can give a, a, a number as well, but uh, my, uh, email is, my email is um, attorney McElwain. So it's A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y, all one word, all lowercase. McElwain is M C. I L W A I N and it's at me. So it'll go to my iPad. Um, you can go to my website, which is McElwain law, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. And I don't get a ton of emails there or whatever. So it, it all gets filtered to 
the, to my Apple iPad anyway. But um, okay. I can yeah. give a phone. I, I would do phone. that. I wouldn't give a phone number. Right. I, well, I mean, it would, it would, I, could, I would give a find it anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, God forbid someone calls me. But no, I, and I, I will offer help to anyone. Uh, I'm not licensed in every state, so they need to see a lawyer for. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the other thing, too. I, I wrote a child support check to my lawyer, and I used to joke, oh, you know, Kentucky needs a, 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 a real family lawyer. We would joke because he used to laugh about how bad the, the result was. And I did a joke. I had like this fake letterhead where I had like McElwain Law Firm and it had like it almost like it was about a Batman. And I had my, my stupid uh, townhouse on it. He didn't read the letter. He didn't read the letter. It had a child support. And he forwarded it to the mom's lawyer. And they brought an unauthorized practice of law case against me. Oh, no. Let me say again. I wrote a child support check to my lawyer with a bad joke. Shouldn't have done it. I get it. I have an ethics complaint that got sustained. That was considered unethical. And that's a fr- I've been a lawyer. I've never had an ethics complaint against me ever. Uh-huh. Ever since I had a daughter, I've had the same person. I've had three from the same person. And the the ethics committee is ruling that it was unethical that I wrote. The The other thing that was unethical was that, that, that got against me too, that was sustained. I mean, I have a, now I have a permanent record as an attorney as doing something unethical. The other thing I did unethical was I um, we went to mediation and we had this long mediation. This is where I agreed to all those draconian terms. And at the end, my lawyer's like, look, let's get it to where these guys are getting along. Why don't you guys dismiss the ethics complaint? Because, you know, that's not good for this to continue on when they're trying to like, you know, be nice to each other. So at the 11th hour, we were all exhausted. They threw it in as like term nine and there was two term nine. So you could tell it got added and it didn't even, it didn't even do. That became an ethics complaint because I didn't even realize it. And my lawyer didn't realize it. And I'm not going to go after my lawyer for it. It's unethical to ask someone to withdraw their ethics complaint. Hmm. So I, yeah. So that's number two ethics complaint against me. And the third one is what I, cha- I challenged that law. I challenged the law that says that a child can be raised 800 way, miles away from both parents. That was considered a frivolous filing. So now anytime I do anything in any court, they say he's a frivolous litigator. And it's almost like my, uh, as a lawyer, it would be like, you know, those guys that were like conscious objectors, like in Vietnam, like guys like Martin Luther King, people that went to jail for, uh, uh, you know, standing up for what they thought. I really did think that that was a bad law. And some of my best results as lawyers, one of them was, you know, college athletes are getting paid because of one of the appeals I made in the video games. It's really well known. I lost at the trial level and it was an appeal that made that law where now, you know, college athletes get paid. I was the original follower of that. I don't know if you know that. So, and then the class action lawyers came in and squashed me like a bug. But my point is I lost that case and appealed it. When I did this in family court of dealing with my daughter, I wasn't even representing another person. I was representing myself. Mm-hmm. I had three ethics complaints against me. One for sending a child support check with, with, with stupidly with my Kentucky address. Two for going to mediation and settling. Shouldn't have, shouldn't have used that term. I mean, shouldn't have had him withdraw the one. And three for challenging that law. So now after almost 30 years as a lawyer with unblemished, never had, I have now three ethics complaining against me. And then oh. she just filed a new one too. I'm so sorry. But yeah, I, I probably won't be a lawyer very long. So I'll help everybody <laughs> make sure they get a lawyer. Uh, you know, I'll help anyone I can with this because I can't imagine... As a, and they need to know, as an attorney, uh, it's not like I'm, I'm, you know, doing well. So not being a lawyer is not, shouldn't discourage them. 
And I think one of the ways to maybe handle these cases is to be pro se, because when you're pro se, that's your only case. And if a judge is doing something wrong, you can call the judge out on it versus when you get a lawyer, that lawyer is not going to interrupt that system. Mm-hmm. That lawyer is not going to do the things they need to do for the client because that lawyer is thinking about his living. He doesn't want to be, you know, a pariah or a scarlet letter on his head. Oh, this is the guy that complained about the judge. Pro se people can. You know, people that represent themselves will can hold a judge accountable. Uh, unfortunately, I might have to be doing that in my case because uh, I and I never I never did a complaint against a judge in my life, and I have I've had some bad results, but you know I've never done it. You have to. You know, um, but anyway, that's another another time. Oh, yeah. We're going to do another podcast. So, hey, uh, don't jump off. OK, Slam the Gavel is a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petri, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here in the future with Tim McElwain and other exciting guests. And you can find me on YouTube, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Anchor FM, you name it, I'm there. And um, we'll be talking. Thank you so much, Attorney Tim. Yeah, well, thanks again. Thanks for having me. And I, you know, I appreciate what you're doing more than I can even express. And keep doing it. Oh, won't stop.